Well, if you can kindly find your seats. Good morning, everybody. Hey, can I ask a question? Uh, I always used to do this when I went to school. I used to always watch, like, the kids that got new presents and stuff. Uh, who is wearing a new present from Christmas today? Yes. Me too. If you don't like my shirt, you can blame my wife, but I think it's fantastic. I love my shirt, so thank you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's, you know what, let's just start off this morning by, uh, by praying first to invite God here. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just so overwhelmed already this morning. I've been crying like a little baby in the front row. Uh, just a powerful service so far. So let's pray to God and thank him. Father God, we are, um, oh, we're so humbled, God, by you. So humbled by your spirit, Lord God. Oh, thank you for your presence, Lord God. Let your Holy Spirit now roam about this place, God, speaking to our hearts and minds and giving us um, insights and wisdom, God. Um, and let us learn, Father, from you today. God, I am so unworthy to be up here to address this group, but Lord God, it's because of you, God, and the cross that you made this possible, Lord God. So uh, would we worship you uh, as we hear this message, God? Would these words give you, great, uh, give you glory and give you praise and honor, God? It's in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we are, uh, we are approaching the new year. It is New Year resolution time. Who's made resolutions about starting that diet that you promised you were going to start in 2019? How about going back to the gym or breaking up with that guy who's just really bad for you? Now, and though some of us will actually do this, most of us will fail within the first couple of weeks. Don't feel so bad. Maybe there's some of you out there that are also kind of like, I hope, I'm just so excited to get 2018 behind me because I'd rather soon forget 2018 for some bad stuff. Maybe that's what you're saying to yourself right now. And that point particularly struck my wife a few years back, and she decided she was going to do something about it. So armed with Pinterest, uh, Sarah went on the internet and found an amazing idea. And if you've been at our house, you've seen this on our center island. Uh, on our center island sits this jar, and it's this blessing jar that we've had. And the blessing jar basically is a way for us to remember the good things, okay? So what we do is we got little pieces of paper, and we write simply down these little blessings, and we stick them in the jar. And they're simple things. It could be a, a fun meal we had or a date night kid's birthday party, you know, life group meeting, a, a really sweet, awesome phone call from a friend, like with encouragement and things like that. Any one of those things, anything that we saw that was a blessing, we put it in the jar. And then on the evening of January 1st, we take that jar and we pour it all over the living room floor. And Sarah and I sit down and we read every single one of those blessings back. And one of my favorite parts about that is when we're reading the same one unknowingly, like, that we, like she put it in and then so did I. And it's kind of like, wow, like, that was a big enough blessing for the both of us to remember that. And it's pretty fun. It's pretty special. And I love that. Uh, and what it does, I think, for us, really helps us remember that God, that God is the source of all these blessings, that he's good, that he's kind to us. His presence was with us that year. And so it really helps us get into that place. And one of the biggest things that is littered throughout the blessings jar are things about our kids. Um, they are mommy's and daddy's biggest blessing, no, no doubt about it. Yeah, they stress us out. I have gray hairs to prove that. But they're the greatest blessing we have. And, and no doubt about it, um, they are they're our heritage, right? They're what is going to carry our name forward. Um, they're going to carry the Ferraro name forward. And it's my hope and prayer for our kids, and I know it's Sarah's hope and prayer too as well, that, that they also carry the name of Jesus 
forward to. And I'm sure if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, that's your, that's your hope and desire too as well. You, you want the same thing. I mean, we all want our kids following the Lord of all the universe, right? That's our hope. That's our desire. And, and, and I can remember, remember vividly the day each one of my kids were born. And I'm going to say this because I tell her, but, you know, she might not like me telling you this, but I'm going to tell her anyways because I like to brag about my life from now and then. Sarah is like a rock star, right? Like she's a superhero. When, when the kids were born, like she made giving birth look super simple. Like it was like not a stress, like her hair was all nice and everything. And she was really, really good at it. And she's a hero. And I, I find that just so amazing that she was able to power through that. I'm so like a sissy. Like if my back is hurting, I'm complaining and whining, you know, I, I got to go lay down, honey, you know, and, and like if it got a cold or something, I'm complaining about it. But this woman, like just, she crushed labor, right? It was amazing. I was so just like, I was so impressed by that. She did that. Um, I'll get back to where we're going here. So I remember the day that each one of my children were born, and I do remember holding them and just thinking to myself, I just, in my heart and, you know, in my, in, in my prayer, I just prayed, God, would, would they seek you? And when they sought you, God, would they find you? And even more than that is my hope and desire that they would be glued to God forever. Now, we have our three kids, Carmela, Luca, and Enzo, and uh, Enzo's doesn't really understand a lot at the moment right now, just food. But, but Carmela and Luca, they're, they're, they're going. They're, they're moving in the right direction, and, and, and I'm excited about that. But they got a long way to go, right? There's a long way to go. And maybe you, parents, grandparents, whatnot, you've had those same aspirations for your kids. I see a, a precious little baby over here, right? Um, and, and there's some of you who are expecting children to as well, and that's probably what you're hoping for. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're hoping that your kids aspire to that. They end up finding Jesus when they seek him. Maybe some of you can't hold your kids anymore because they're too cool. They don't want to be hugged because they're teenagers, and that's just kind of like what we do when we're figuring that out. We don't want to be touched by you. But you still hope for that, right? And maybe your kids are fully grown, okay? Grandparents maybe, you know, or they're having their own kids, but yet your desire is still that they would find Christ Jesus. But you say to me, Chris, yeah, but my son, my daughter, their faith is wavering right now. You know, my, my son just last year walked away from the faith, Chris. And, and, and I just want to tell you, my heart, it breaks for you. Um, this morning, while we were worshiping, part of that was in my heart, that I know that some of you are suffering from that, and it breaks my heart. But it's kind of becoming the norm, unfortunately, in our society. Um, the, the way that people are walking away from their faith, young people walking away from their faith. I want to ask you a question. Does anybody remember the song, uh, The Greatest Love of All? Uh, Whitney Houston popularized this song. How does it go? How does it go? I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Now, I can't sing, so I'm going to stop at that moment. My best effort. Where's the, the voice when you need the voice? All right, you know who believes children are our future? The churchy answer, please, everybody. Everybody can get this. Who believes that? Jesus. That's a def- By the way, that's a default answer in church. If you don't know it, it's Jesus. Just say it. You will get the right answer. Yeah, Jesus believes that. In two places in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 19 and Matthew 18, Jesus says that the children are our future. So he basically says, look, in Matthew 19, the children that were brought to him, and the people are like, no, 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 don't, don't bring the children to Jesus. She's like, no, 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 let them come to me, right? For these are such as the kingdom of heaven, right? These are the kids. That are... And then in Matthew 18, he says, unless you become like 
these children. You cannot inherit the kingdom. So Jesus fully believes that the children are our future. They're the ones that hold our spiritual heritage in their hands as we move forward. They are. And you know, no doubt about it, I stand here where many men and women have stood that have left an incredible spiritual heritage at Central Christian Church. No doubt about it. Countless men and women have stood here and delivered the holy message of God to a congregation that was hungry, thirsty, and excited about it. We have a great spiritual heritage, but yet what you don't realize is that the next generation, they're the ones that determine how rich that heritage is going forward. But despite that, despite them being our future the youth in America are facing some really dire things, some scary things, whether it's on our school campuses, whether it's on the internet and social media, okay, or whether it's even in our own homes, whether the increase of teen pregnancies, which is obviously the increase in sexual activity, okay, we have cyberbullying and bullying happening on campuses, there's an increase in drug and alcohol use at younger ages, that's shocking, right, increase in teen depression, which leads to teen suicides, And before Columbine, which hit me when I was a senior in high school, before Columbine, we would have never thought of this, but mass shootings on our school campuses. It's insane. It it shocks me. And I think think you can all see how troubling all of that stuff is. But I'm going to say this one thing to you all this morning. For us as Christians, I think there's a more pressing concern. The greatest concern for us in the Christian arena is how rapidly youth and our students are walking away from their faith. I'm going to say it one more time. For us in the Christian arena, the most troubling thing facing our youth, facing us, is how rapidly our students and young people are walking away from their faith. And you think, yeah, okay, Chris, that's a big, bold statement. You better have something to back that up with. I do. I've got a 14-page document to back that up in my deal there. I'll probably share that with you later on. I did not do this research myself, but I'm going to spend some time going over research from the last 15 to 20 years and various studies and books and so on that detail why, how, what is going on with our youth, okay? I don't take credit for this. Jay Warner Wallace of Cold Creek Christianity It's an apologetics ministry, tremendous apologetics ministry that shows the evidential faith of Christianity, the evidential truths that are aligned in it. He takes this, he studies this. He's a cold case homicide detective and also a adjunct professor at at Biola down in Southern California. So this is all of his information, which I'm going to bring together and summarize for you this morning so you can see. And we're going to start off by reviewing info on why youth lead the faith. Here it is. A 2010 study found that 52% of college students reported frequent church attendance the year before they entered college, which is the senior year in high school, right? Yet, 29% continued frequent church attendance by their junior year. I'm going to comment on that for a second. College campuses are filled with liberal and atheist professors, okay? Mostly in the sciences, but they are having a marked influence on the faith of our children. We've got to wake up and see that, okay, church? Dave Kimmon's book entitled, You Lost Me, Why... Young Christians are leaving the church and rethinking their faith found that nearly three out of every five young Christians disconnect from their churches. Can you guess at what age they're disconnecting from the churches? Fifteen. Fifteen is the age that is like a sophomore in high school. That's a crucial age, y'all. 2016 reports this. A study in 2016, 79% of young adults Age 18 and 29, they had become religiously unaffiliated, okay, which means they were Christians at some point, but they stepped away from it. They reported making this decision during their adolescent and teen years. Youth are leaving behind their faith, everybody, sooner than before, 
and they're doing it during their mid-teenage years. A crucial, again, a crucial time. So naturally, you're going to say, well, all right, they're leaving. Why? Why are they leaving? Let's find out some more information on why they're leaving. The study continues. They leave because they had troubling, unanswered questions about the faith. 32% said they left because of intellectual skepticism or doubts that they had. 33% said they can't feel like they can ask. They can't ask the most pressing questions in church. But shouldn't they be able to ask those questions? Shouldn't this be the place of reason? 23% said they had significant intellectual doubts. Are you catching, a, are you catching on here? Larry Taunton in 2013 studied these young atheists. It's a powerful study. These amazing insights. These atheists were once Christians, okay? Here's what he said about these atheists who used to attend church in 2013. The mission and the message of the churches was vague. We're not speaking clearly, okay? They felt their churches offered just surface level, superficial answers for the most difficult questions in life. Ages 14 to 17, as we talked about before, that's very decisive. Here's the shocking part for all of us. The internet factored heavily into the reasons why they left their faith. Let me just summarize for you. Number one, we're not answering the real difficult pressing questions for our youth. And they're asking them, we need to have an answer for that, right? They don't feel like we're capable of giving a deep answer, like it's a superficial thing. And when we're not giving the answer, they're going to the internet to find it. And the internet is filling that void and is leading our students to agnosticism, which is this idea that, yeah, there's a God. He's not personal. I just think there's something else higher out there. Okay. Apathyism, which you may not have heard before, but what's apathy, right? Apathyism is a just, just generally not a concern whatsoever, whether or not the question of God matters. They could care less. If there's a God or not, it doesn't really matter to them. And atheism, of course, which is there is no God. It is leading them on that direction. And the troubling thing is, and we talked about this, this is the most pressing thing that they're leaving the faith. Yet, let me tell you some more stuff. It's interesting about those that are still affiliated with the faith. Those who still profess faith in Jesus have some inconsistencies with classical Christianity. I'm being kind when I say inconsistencies. They don't really understand the core Christian beliefs, and I'm going to show you here really quickly. Josh McDowell in his book, The Last Christian Generation, observed these things. First, 63% of teenage Christians don't believe that Jesus is the son of the one true God. 51% don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. 68% don't believe who I beckoned earlier, the Holy Spirit, is a real entity. Following on that information, Steve Wright follows up and says, also 58% of teenage Christians believe that all faiths teach equally valid truths. And 65% don't believe Satan is a real entity. I can summarize one more time. Our Christian youth, they don't grasp the core beliefs of Christianity. All right. So what are we going to do about it? Where do we start? What's the one point we can begin with? Well, let me summarize some of the, again, some of the profound insights and the simple insights. It's great. It's really, it's very basic, but it's great. Okay, Christian Smith, Patricia Snell, in their book, Souls in Transition, found this. Since in 2009, they found this. Parents are the most crucial and powerful socializers in the lives of their adolescents. The adolescent years are not the time to disengage as a parent, Okay. Because what happens is when they disengage is these adolescents, they find that 
their parents' faith really doesn't matter to them, so their faith ends up being vacuous, empty, it's meaningless for them. So they don't really attach to that, okay? That means that now, youth ministries, I'm going to say this really, really emphatically, ministries to youth matter now more than ever. Ministries to youth matter now more than ever. They're our next generation. Thank you to everybody who serves from little infants all the way to our seniors in high school in youth ministry. I did it for six years for junior high and senior high at our old church. And I got to tell you guys, there's so much hope. There's so much promise in that generation. They are the ones that are going to carry forward. It matters what you're doing. So thank you for all your efforts. You're, it's, not, it's not without um, a reward in heaven. Okay? Listen to this as the article continues. It says, With the breakdown of the family and the systemic erosion of adult support, congregational youth ministers are more necessary now than ever. Guys, with the, with the devaluing of marriage in America, we are leaving our children to start their lives with one foot in the faith grave That may sound harsh, but it's the truth. With the devaluing of marriage in America, we're leaving our children with one foot in the faith grave. This is what Satan wants to do. He's a real entity, number one. And two, he wants to rip the family apart. In America, you can see it's happening. But we can't, church, we can't be like the rest of the world. We've got to be different, set apart, and holy like God called us to be. And we could do that. In their book entitled Families and Faith, How Religion is Passed Down Across Generations, Vern Bangston, Norella Putney, and Susan Harris, they found amazing key findings in a 35-year study. They, they spent 35 years studying family and how faith is passed down from one generation to the next. And parents, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't think you matter in your kid's life, that teenager doesn't want you around, let me tell you something. You matter, and check this out. Check us out why you matter. Ready for this? Parents continue to be the single greatest influence on their children's faith. Parents continue to be the single greatest influence on their children's faith. That should give you hope and promise. It gives me great hope and promise. But America's a little, little off kilter. Do you know today in America, 40% of children born in America are born to, to fatherless homes. And in some ethnic communities, guys, that number is far higher, up into the 70% range. So how important is it that we have committed marriages? Marriages that are devoted to each other. Marriages that are supporting one another. I'm not saying single moms, single dads, you have done an amazing job. You can't, that, like, you can't follow through, right, and like deliver your children over to faith. I'm not saying that, but you know what? The odds, they're heavily stacked against you. I don't like to bet on something that's not sure. If I'm going to bet, I'm going to be darn right, I got the best opportunity to win. And you know what? When you're in a loving, committed relationship and there's parents that are active in their faith, children have the best chance to, to take that forward to the next generation. And you know what? The next point adds on to that. Point two, when a child sees and hears that faith actually makes a difference in mom and dad's lives, they're much more likely to follow suit. You starting to catch on here? So the question is, are you letting your kids catch you? Read your Bible. Are you telling them the story about how you interacted with that coworker at work and how your relationship with Jesus was the difference maker there? Are you praying with your kids? 
Are you teaching your kids how to pray? Are you praying for your kids? Last point. Young adults are more likely to share their parents' religious belief and participate in it if they feel like they have a close relationship with their parents. Remember, the adolescent years aren't the time to disengage as a parent, as a study said earlier, right? I'm going to make this point really simple, and it's beautiful. Parents, we are the difference makers. Parents, we have enormous influence and power. You matter. Parents, aunties, uncles, grandparents, right? Cousins, people who are looked at as parents, even though that's not your blood, you have amazing power and influence. You matter in the lives of these youths. And hey, it's not just Chris sitting up here on a Sunday telling you these things. It's not the study, okay, and all these guys writing these books, and these ladies writing these books and all this information. It's not just them telling you that we should do these things for our children, that we should matter in our kids' lives. It's the Holy Scriptures. Ready for this? The Holy Scriptures in Deuteronomy chapter 6 tell us this. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Right? And these words I'm commanding you to be upon your heart, that you do what? That you teach them diligently to your children and speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and you get up. Let me... Let me wrap this up for you, okay? What does Moses say? Moses says, hey, check this out. Church, check this out. There's one God, right? The Lord, this one God. That's a fact. There's one God, and it's the one we serve, okay? There's one God, and if there is one God, and there is, then what we gotta do with everything in our being is we gotta love him with everything we have, every last drop and every last ounce of everything we have in us. That's what this is talking about. Right? And, and, and if that's the case and you do that, you're gonna, it's, he's going to implant himself in your heart. And guess who else is in your heart? Who's in your heart? Your kids. Every day you think about your kids and they're in your heart. And you're supposed to do what with that? You're supposed to teach them what he's commanded you to teach them. You're supposed to teach them that there is one God. Then we can proclaim that name. That's what you're supposed to teach them. And you're not supposed to do it half-heartedly with your whole heart. Teach them diligently about these things. Why? So that not just that generation, but the next generation and the next generation, a hundred generations down the road, establish these truths firmly in their heart and in their family. This stuff will ripple through generations. What you say to me, well, Chris, you know what? I don't, I don't really know a lot of that stuff. I'm just a new Christian, or I really haven't taken a lot of time to study these things. I don't know what the heck the Trinity is. I think it's that woman from those movies, you know, with the blue pill and stuff, and Keanu Reeves, right? Yes, but no. What if you don't know the tough questions, right? The answer to these tough questions that are plaguing our youth, because they're there. What if you aren't confident in these Christian truths we talked about, that maybe you don't believe that there actually was a resurrection? What can you do? What do you do when your kid comes home and says to you, hey, my friend talked to me about my two moms or my two dads. What about when the uh, Jehovah's Witness comes knocking on the front door? What do you do? What do you do when your kid comes home from college and says the Bible's got holes all over it? It's not real. Where do you turn for help? I had the same struggle about eight years ago, 
uh, not with a child, um, but it's prepared me for my kids. Uh, eight years ago, a, a really great friend of mine um, had been doubting his faith for a long time. I didn't really know it. He didn't really tell me a lot, but he'd been doubting his faith for a while. And uh, after reading a book by a gentleman named Dan Barker, he was a former uh, pastor who turned atheist. Maybe you've heard of him before or not. Uh, this, this was the, the final nail in the coffin that basically turned him from believer in Jesus to apostate, right? Um, and he asked me some really deep intellectual questions that I remember feeling so unprepared, um, just so out of place. I wasn't ready to answering those questions. I mean, he was like, there is no God, and the Bible's garbage, and all this stuff. And I'm like, wow, like, man, like we, we believe that together. What happened? All this stuff unraveled. But what, so the fear that I had drove me to do something about it. And the first thing I did was I turned to this amazing book called The Case for Christ. If you all have read this before, if you have not read this, uh, let me just tell you, it is a great starter and a great resource to begin with. Uh, additionally, in the back of each chapter, there's like these, there's like these different books that he suggests and recommends um, for further reading, okay? This is the stuff that catapulted me onto other books, like Reasonable Faith by William Lane Craig. He's the foremost Christian apologist in the world today. This book is an incredible read. I had to have a dictionary and a, and a thesaurus out to understand some of the words he used in it. Very scholarly written, but it's unbelievable. Led me to another of one of my absolute favorite books by J.P. Morgan. Love God with all your mind, a way to honestly engage intellectually with your faith. Awesome stuff. These kind of books, along with podcasts, articles, videos I saw, prepared me to be able to engage those questions. And I'm going to tell you something. Today, I don't say this to brag. I don't mean to brag because I'm sure somebody's going to come up with me after service and say, well, let me try you on this. I am so confident today to answer the question, why a good God allows evil to exist. I'm so confident to answer the question to you today if you came and asked me, well, why is there a God at all? Or that the universe has always existed. I'm prepared to engage those questions today. And I gotta tell you something, you can as well. I'm prepared to respond for my kids. I'm selfish about that. I wanna be able to respond, but you know what? I'm ready to help you in that step too as well, okay? Not just because I say it, but again, the scriptures tell us the same thing. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter commands us this. He says, about our faith, he says, you should always be prepared to make a defense. To make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. And my hope is in Jesus. And I'm prepared to tell you why that is the case today. That's apologetics, right? I'm not sitting here going, oh, Christianity is so terrible. I'm so sorry. Apologetics doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean to apologize. It means to defend the faith, right? You don't have to go on some tour to apologize, right? So parents... Anybody involved in the life of youth, if you're a youth, you can do this too, but just keep them to this. This is what I don't want you to fail on this year for your New Year's resolution. This is what I want to challenge you with this year. If you haven't read this, I want to challenge you to pick up the copy of Case for Christ. Now, I haven't written any notes in this one, so you can have this one. If you, if you don't have it, please come and grab it from me. I lent it to Mike uh, Mike Tross, last year he read it. Uh, I encourage you to come grab it from me. If not, I can show you where to get it on Amazon. This is my challenge to you, and I'm going to chase you down. Like, I'm a salesperson. Like, I will relentlessly pursue you until I make sure you've read this. I will come to your house. All right, Case for Christ, okay? If you read Case for Christ, then I'm going to ask you to do something else. Then I'm going to ask you to graduate then to another book from William Lane Craig called On Guard. I don't think I took any notes in this one either. This was when I was, I thought it was like, 
a sin to write in books. So I wasn't writing in books then. So the other ones have writing, so you can't have those. You are more than welcome to grab this from me too as well. This is what we're kind of calling natural theology, although in the end it talks about the resurrection and proof. But natural theology is just really this idea. How do you answer these questions that aren't necessarily biblical questions, but more questions about morality? Where does objective moral values and duties come from? Like, what is that, right? Or, or, or is it possible that this all-knowing, all-powerful being even exists? And we can talk about that. It's called the ontological argument for some of you who are writing things down, okay? So that, you can do that, all right? All right, so that's my challenge for you, because I, I'm not sure if you caught this or not, but it's really important. I'm not sure if you caught this. 51% of our Christian youth don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. 51%. I am not even sure that we can call them Christians if that is what they believe. The Apostle Paul says this, which should drive this point home even more. If Christ had not been raised, he said this in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, what does he say? then your faith is futile, it is useless, it is worthless. You are still in your sins. The Apostle Paul says, it doesn't even matter that Jesus was a great moral teacher, that he was lived and everything. It doesn't even matter. If he didn't raise from the dead, it's worthless. You have got to attack Christianity at the resurrection. From the very start, the Jews attacked it at the resurrection. And throughout the last 2,000 years, who, those who have tried to assault Christianity have tried to do so eventually at the resurrection because that is what our faith stands on. It undergirds everything. If you destroy the resurrection, you destroy Christianity. And 51% of our youth don't believe that point. That is shocking. If you're not shocked by that, then I don't know what it will do to get you back into reality. Parents, grandparents, again, aunties, uncles, we got to do something about it. We've got to start to train ourselves. The resources are out there. They're available. I'll tell you, in 2019, um, Richard Rock and I, we've been really discussing, and we're going to put something together where we're going to provide two different kind of courses for you guys. We're still in works on this. One for apologetics, one for theology, to teach you what we believe, okay, and to help you defend why we believe what we believe to the world outside. So that's coming, okay? That's coming, and we're going to work on that, and that's my promise to get that done for you in 2019. Okay? Yeah, yeah, that's right. You can clap in church. It's okay. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus is okay with that. They're okay with that. All right. Anybody spend time reading the Bible last year through a Bible reading plan? I, I did. I'm sure a lot of us did. Yeah, right? And so we spent a lot of time in the Old Testament. There's 39 books. You're going to spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. And, and reading through the history, especially, you know, as we went through Chronicles and Kings and so on, you really see the history of Israel, like, in full view, right? And the one thing that struck, that struck me the most is that it took only one generation, one new king, for all this stuff to fall apart, for them to start putting up different idols and all these different things, right, for them to worship. And that's defeating if only the other part wasn't true. It only took one to turn it around. One generation is all it takes to turn it around. That's all it takes to turn it around. The generation in front of us right now, they could be, they could see the next great resurgence of Christianity. They could see the next Christian revolution happening right here in the Bay Area. It can happen. But it's not going to happen 
if we're absentee, if we're disinterested, if we're unable to dive in and do the tough stuff, the tough work that is required. There has never been, in my opinion, a more dire time and a more needed time for us parents, youth workers, for us to dive in now in our children's lives. It matters. And why, am I, why have I been so like, passionate and emphatic about this this morning? Because as we approach a new year, we often, again, we look towards the new year with hope and with promise, right? We look towards the new year for our future, which is right in front of us. And they are right there. They're our future. They're sitting right in front of us. 2019 could be the first year, parents, that your child says yes to Jesus. Wouldn't it be amazing? Heck yeah, it would be. It'd be awesome. That was the first year. It'd be the first year that your kid said, you know what, Dad, what you taught me in youth, it didn't make any sense, but I'm going to come back to it now. That could be the time that it happens in 2019. Because Jesus promised this one thing. He didn't, he didn't say that you have to wait until the day you die to find out whether or not you made it. He said, as soon as you believe in me, boom, eternity starts there. Like your eternity starts now when you say yes. That's the promise that we have in him. And for those putting their trust in Jesus in 2019, that's going to be a tangible fact too as well. That'll be something real. Gary mentioned it. We're going to have a new pastor coming. Pastor Tim Perkins is going to be here in a couple weeks. And if you spent any time with him, if you were at our meet and greets uh, that we had on the weekend leading up to him being here, or if you heard him even on Sunday, one of the things that gets him out of bed in the morning for San Jose is how many lost people there are in like a 20-mile radius of this building. That gets him so pumped up and amped up. Gary said there are some of those who are ready to lace their shoes up and everything else. My shoes are laced. I'm ready. I take my shot of testosterone and adrenaline. I'm ready to go. Like, we were ready to see this change. Again, selfishly for my own neighborhood, which is right back here, like, I'm excited to watch my neighbors come and sit right here. I'm excited to watch my daughter's kids and students and their friends and their families come and join us and, and sit and be a part of what's going on here. The unchurched people living amongst us is the greatest mission field. We don't have to go to Africa or to China or something else. All you got to do is go to the next block. This is the biggest mission field in the world right here. The most influential people are right here in San Jose. Because our, our one single job on this planet that Jesus gave us was to help secure as many people in heaven as possible. When Jesus left his earth, he commanded us that very same thing. In Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, at the very end of it, in Matthew 28, verse 20, he said, to teach them, as you make disciples of all nations, to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Where does that sound like something we heard earlier? So Moses said, teach it to your children diligently. Teach, he says, teach. He says, learn it so you can teach it. We have to prepare ourselves to teach it to our students, to teach it to those who are following us. And we can't be bashful about it. We can't be afraid of losing friends on social media or something because we said Jesus was the one true God. Say it with confidence. Don't be afraid to lose them because the one thing I think we have to fear more than anything else is that is not doing what the Savior of all the world who came and died on that cross for us, not doing what he said to do, what he commanded us to do as he left this earth before, um, before he left this earth. Remember, the next generation, it can be the year that it all comes together. The question is, church, what are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Church, would you stand with me? I want you to commit in your hearts as we pray right now as the band comes to lead us through in our final song. Um, 
I want us to take a New Year's resolution together to read this book, but to also commit our hearts to our youth and to the next generation in front of us because they are our future. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for, uh, thank you for the role of parents and influencers in the lives of our youth. Thank you for their hearts that are churning and that are moving for you, Lord, this morning. Lord, I pray that unlike any other time in the past where we've made a New Year's resolution, Lord, I pray this one sticks, that we care and we make a difference in the next generation in 2019 and beyond. Lord, we don't do this of our own power. We recognize, God, we do this with your Holy Spirit. Active and moving, empowering us to reach the lost even in our own homes. God, help us carry the weight. Because it's not easy. It doesn't just happen. But it can be by your hand, Lord. Lord, we surrender 2019 over to you. All the things you have for us. We are excited for the future, God. To meet your appointments, God. And meet them with hope and with assurance, God, that you will work. Lord, we give you all the glory, God. All honor is yours, Lord God, in heaven and on earth. We let our hearts sing gladly now, God, the praises of your name. In Jesus' name.